Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, when we go out to eat and the server's taking our order, before they leave the table, I will will typically say, hey, we like to pray before we eat. Is there anything specific we can pray for you? And about half the time, I will get, you know, something that's somewhat personal. Sometimes it's very personal. It's really led to some really, really neat conversations. About the other half of the time, it's kind of like, you know, no, I'm, I'm good, you know. And, and usually they will say, like, you can just pray for world peace. Just, which is, you know, that's a good thing to pray for. And I do. Um, but I, I have to confess that when I pray for world peace, I, it feels like an impossible dream. Like, it feels impossible when I watch the news and I see wars in different parts of the world. It's like, really, can this, can this ever really happen? And we know from Scripture it will happen one day, but not until the Prince of Peace comes. But we continue to pray now. We, we continue to hope because we, for, for peace because we know the suffering that people go, go through because of, of war and conflict. Peace is really the goal and the hope in any kind of conflict that we experience in the world, whether that's a marriage conflict. So if, you know, if a couple is at each other, what we hope for, what we pray for, is that forgiveness will be asked for and offered. When, when our kids rebel or when they're disrespectful to us, what we pray for, what we hope for, is that they will apologize, that they will recognize that what they've done is, is not right and it's not honoring to their parents. In our workplace, we, we pray and, and hope for not a dog-eat-dog kind of atmosphere, but rather a, a spirit of actually working to help and support other people, to, to work for other people's success. I mean, all that kind of peace, that kind of harmony of people getting along, that is worth praying for. It is worth working for. But what would you say if I said there's something that's even more important than that? There's a pursuit that is even more crucial for us. We're going to talk about that this morning. And when we pursue that goal it actually is more likely that we're going to experience peace along the way with it. We're going to look at that this morning in Romans chapter 15. If you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there is one on a seat close to you. And Romans 15 is on page 1051. Uh, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time here this morning, haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been talking the last few weeks about a, a common conflict among, really among God's people, among, among people in a fellowship of faith. And that conflict comes from different convictions that we may each hold. So if you talk to any two people, they're probably going to disagree on some point around 
movies that they watch or are they do are they willing are they okay with drinking alcohol or not what kinds of foods do do they eat um, sometimes what holidays they they celebrate there's all kinds of different convictions that we each hold that are different from one another and and our tendency is that we kind of think that we've got the right list and that if somebody has more things that they shouldn't do or should do on their list, then they're, they're kind of a little uptight and you just need to, to loosen up. Or if somebody has fewer things on their list, they're like, we're, we're like, you know, you're, you're a little too loosey-goosey and you, you need to tighten it up. And so we're going to summarize all of that today in our text that we're looking at. It kind of starts with a summary and then it goes to this other pursuit that is even more important than resolving the conflict, if you can believe that. So, first, the summary of our last two weeks, starting in verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, I wanna pause there and I wanna define terms because it's important to understand Paul is talking about the strong as those strong in faith who have who are grasping the freedom that we have in Christ. So Christ has purchased our freedom to not have to obey the law anymore because he fulfilled the law, and he says, you're now free from that. You can be right with God apart from the law. And so as we embrace that freedom, it opens up a lot more opportunity to say, wow, there's, there's a lot that I can enjoy here in, in life. Not everything, there are still limitations to that. So the same God who created liberty created limitations. And we see that all the way back to the garden when he said, you can eat from any tree except one. And so those who are strong in faith are those who are recognizing, wow, look at all these trees that I can enjoy now. And, and there are a few that I'm gonna stay away from, but that's the strong, the, the when he talks about bearing with the failings of the weak, those who are weak in faith say, wow, yeah, I, I don't know, there's, there's more trees here that I can't eat from, and that's okay. We, we recognize our differences, but Paul says, we who are strong, we'll read this again, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Pay attention to the word please because it's going to show up two more times in the next two verses. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell on me. The emphasis here is about being not self-centered, but others-centered. See, see, Paul's bottom line is we are free in Christ, but we are not free to use our freedom in a selfish way to the detriment of others. We're free in Christ, but we're not free to use that freedom in a way that's going to cause someone else to stumble. And, and Christ is the ultimate example of selflessness in verse 3. It says, Christ did not please himself. He didn't live for himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell on me. That's a, that, that is a prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. Rather than sparing himself humiliation and pain, 
He absorbs the insults uh, that were directed to God. And so we are called to follow his example of selflessness. Verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So that's the summary of where we've been the last two weeks in, in chapter Romans chapter 14. Now, there's, there's kind of an aside to, to Paul's argument here in verse four. This is kind of a teaching point for him. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this is a word kind of in the midst of all of this argument to any of you who are here today who are in need of endurance. Maybe you're tired and you're just like, man, I just feel like life keeps coming at me and I can't keep up and I'm tired, and some days I just feel like giving up. Those who are in need of endurance or encouragement, maybe life has just been throwing some things at you that have been discouraging. Paul says that the things that were written previously were written so that we can have endurance and encouragement, the encouragement of the scriptures, that we might have hope. Now keep in mind that for Paul, when he's thinking scriptures, he's thinking the Hebrew scriptures. So he doesn't have yet uh, the, the Gospels that we have that, that speak of Christ. Um, he is writing over half the New Testament himself in letters. So when he thinks scriptures, he's thinking Hebrew scriptures. And that's important for us because many times we go to the New Testament to read about Jesus, and we should. I mean, keep doing that because Jesus has made so much available to, to us. But don't ignore the Old Testament. Don't ignore the Hebrew scriptures because there's so much here, as Paul says, that is there for, to, to increase our endurance, our encouragement. I mean, one prime example of that is the, 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 the narratives of people that we see that God brought through in impossible situations. And we, we see those and we see God worked in their life. I know that he can still work in my life in that way as well. So, that's kind of a little bit of an aside, but we will come back to that uh, in, in a few moments. Now Paul gets back to his topic that he's going through in, in this section. Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Harmony, harmony and living in peace with one another is really important to, to Paul. I mean, out of 16 chapters in the book of Romans, he spends about a chapter and a half, talking about this whole idea of love expressed for one another through unity. I mean, that's almost 10% of, of the whole book. This is a very important topic to him. The word harmony there in verse five, he says, may, may God grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That word harmony is about unity of, of mind, like that we're thinking along the same lines with, with one another. It's unity, not uniformity. 
Okay, it's not that everybody thinks exactly the same thing. That's evidenced in the different scruples, the different convictions that we have. It's not uniformity, it's harmony. If you know, if you're familiar with music at all, okay, harmony by its definition is that you're singing two different notes, but they go together, they blend together to make beautiful music. It's not unison, it's not everybody singing and saying the same thing. See, there's, there's beauty in our diversity. There's beauty in our differences. And we're not to try to squelch those, we're not to try to all be the same, we're to say how can we bring all of those differences into harmony with one another on the same sheet of music, which is Jesus. Jesus is our same sheet of music. He's what we're singing. We sing on, we sing different parts as we do that, but it all blends together. So that, that ability to get to that kind of unity and peace comes through dying to self and putting others first. We see Jesus model that in Philippians 2, which is where we see this same word for, for harmony. Philippians 2, Paul, same author, says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. That word mind is the same word as harmony that we saw there in Romans chapter 15. So it could say, have this harmony among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The ultimate, ultimate demonstration of selflessness. And Paul is calling us to follow his example on this path towards harmony and peace with one another. Harmony and peace, very important to Paul, but there is something that's even more important. Let's read these verses again, verse five, six, seven. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that, so this is a purpose statement, okay? What follows is, is the purpose of living in harmony with one another, that together you may with one voice what? What does it say? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the what? For the glory of God. See, see this is the purpose. This is what's behind the, the harmony and the peace that we seek with one another is the glory of God. See, welcoming is important, but worship is ultimate. Welcoming is important. Welcoming one another, accepting one another, pursuing harmony is, is important. We saw that word the first time two, two weeks ago, if you were here, in Romans 14, 1. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And now in Romans 15, 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's, that's good. That's the harmony we're pursuing for the glory of God. There's the, 
Pursuing harmony and peace with one another is not an end in itself. It's a vital and beautiful step on the path towards glorifying God together, side by side, with people who are different than we are. Think different, look different, believe different to some extent, but our common ground is, is Jesus, and we stand side by side worshiping him together. The world around us is so longing for peace and for harmony. That's why when a server can't think of anything else that they're comfortable saying for a prayer request, they say world peace, because that's something that we all want to see. When someone who is outside of the faith community, when there's someone who doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ, sees the people of God who have a relationship with Christ treating each other with this welcoming spirit of, of non-judgmentalism, of appreciating differences, of selfless kind of love. When they see that kind of harmony happening, that gives glory to God. That's what Paul says here. That's, that's why we live this way in harmony is so that God might get glory, so that God might look good, so that those people who are on the outside looking in might say, wow, I, I want to know more about this. If you guys can treat each other this way, I would love to be part of that kind of community because that's not what I experienced at work. It's not what I experienced at school. It's not sometimes what I experienced with my family even. I, I, want, I, I want to know more about that. Maybe I want to worship this same God too. The, the same theme of this side-by-side worship continues as we continue reading here in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, so that's talking about the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order, purpose statement, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and, verse 9, in order, purpose statement, that the Gentiles might, what? Glorify God for his mercy, because as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's a quote right there from Psalm 18. So this is David writing that psalm saying, I will praise you, God, among the Gentiles. This is Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. This is a quote from Psalms. Make a mental note of that because there's going to be a quiz in just a moment. So remember Psalms, okay? Again in verse 10. Again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So his people being the chosen people of Israel. Rejoice, Gentiles, side by side with these people. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. Okay, Deuteronomy 32. Okay, mental note. All right. Next quote, verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples, including the Jewish people, extol him. A quote from Psalm 117. And then lastly, verse 12 from Isaiah. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is a prophecy, a prophecy of Messiah, Jesus. In Jesus will the Gentiles hope, not just the Jewish people. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 11. All right, here's the challenge question 
for those of you who've been studying the Bible for a while. There are three major sections of the Hebrew Scriptures, the, what we know as the Old Testament. From what section does Isaiah, the Isaiah quote, come from? The prophets, yes, thank you. So that's one major section. From what section does the Deuteronomy quote come from? The law, okay, good. And now the third one is a little bit, a little bit tricky. Um, what section of the Old Testament scriptures does the Psalms come from? Wisdom, yes, that's more specific. There's a broader category. Writings, okay, the writings. So that's kind of officially, from the Jewish standpoint, the three sections of the Jewish scripture. They know it as the Tanakh. Okay, we'll put this up on, on the screen. So we've got the law, the prophets, the writings. The reason it's called the Tanakh, and this is for some of you who are gonna geek out on this and you wanna take this and share it with your friends. Others, just don't get lost. We're gonna get back on track here. The reason it's called the Tanakh is because the word for law is Torah. The word for prophets is Nevaim. And the word for writings is Ketuvim. So if you take the first letter of each of those words, T, N, and K, the, the Jewish language is all about consonants. And so T, N, and K, and then they just throw vowels in the middle so that you can actually pronounce the word. So we'll just throw some A's in there. And it's Tanakh, okay? So that is the, the scriptures that Paul is thinking of when he's talking about the scriptures in verse Four, when he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, the Tanakh, we might have hope. And so what he is doing by quoting from each of these sections, is, and he's done this before in Romans, you may remember, he's, he's taken quotes from each of those sections. He is intent on making the point that there is a continuity between what has always been taught and what he is teaching now. What he is teaching now sounds so radical, and this idea of Jews and Gentiles worshiping side by side sounds so radical to, to many of his Jewish listeners. And what he wants to say is, this is, this is nothing new. This is what has been taught from the beginning. Let me show you through all, all of those scriptures. If you've been here for, for much of this series, you know that Paul spends a lot of time working to break down the barriers between Jews and, and Gentiles. And the goal of that, breaking down that barrier, is not less than harmony, but it's something more. Because welcoming is important, but worship is, is ultimate. And here is where we tie back to a theme that was introduced early in the book of Romans. And those of you who have been here since January, hopefully you're gonna appreciate it. I just, I love this, how this ties us back to the beginning. If you would hold your finger in Romans 15 and go back to Romans 1. That is on page 1040, for those of you who are in those Bibles on the seat. Romans chapter one takes us all the way back to January. And this is, by the way, when, when we began the book of Romans, we, we had a couple of weeks that were kind of positive, and then we got into this heavy time, like five weeks in a row, where it's just like bad news after bad news. After. This was the beginning of the bad news in Romans chapter one, verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. All people are without excuse for not knowing God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We started the book of Romans with Paul's relentless argument that all people are under condemnation before God because all of us are idolaters. All of us have substituted the true God for a substitute God, a, a false God. Everybody, everybody worships something. I mean, some people are going to be worshiping this afternoon in, in stadiums all across this country. Some people are going to be worshiping in their living rooms, and they're going to be raising their hands in praise at different points, and then they're going to be saying other things and throwing things at the TV, and out of the same mouth will come blessing and cursing. My friends, this should not be, okay? So this is, this is, everybody worships something, or they worship their career, or they, they worship a person that they've tied up all of their hope into, and God says, I am the only one who deserves your worship. And look at what God has done from the beginning of Romans where Everybody is worshiping a false god. Through the sacrifice of Christ, he says, you can be made right with me, not by your own performance, because you can't achieve that, but through faith in what Christ has done and his performance. You can be made right with me. You can be justified. And then we can be sanctified. This is the message of Romans. Then we can be changed to become more like Christ. And then we have the hope that one day we will be glorified in God's presence where all the tainting of sin will be taken away. And now we get to the end of Romans to say, look what God has done. He has taken us from hopelessness and condemnation to now being able, and, and idolatry, to now being able to worship side by side, Jews and Gentiles, to worship the true God. But we must worship in truth, Jesus said this in John 4, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We, we live in a day when there are a lot of spiritual people, and, it's, and, and they worship different things. And they may even say, I, I worship God, I'm, I'm spiritual. But it's not enough to just be spiritual. We have to worship in spirit and in truth, how God has revealed himself to be. 
as we start practicing this and learning how to do this in this broken world with, where we still have the taint of sin, we're practicing for a day when the taint of sin will be taken away. And we see that fulfilled in Revelation chapter 7. That's why we sang from Revelation, Revelation song this morning. After this I looked, John says, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So that includes all of the Jewish people who place their trust in Christ, all of the Gentiles who place their trust in Christ. This is all these people with all these different backgrounds, all these different languages, all of them standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. One day we will stand in that scene with people of all kinds of backgrounds and, and convictions side by side with Christ as the center Worshiping. This is why it's so important for us to learn now. When, when we learn now how to welcome others who may be different than us, but they're singing on the same page as Jesus, when, when we learn that now, we're practicing for eternity. Paul ends, now, now back to Romans 15 for one more verse. Paul ends our text today with a statement of hope because of this certain future. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in your trust so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our hope comes from a God who is able to resolve the humanly unresolvable problems of our world. We are humanly unable to achieve world peace. Don't you think if we were able to achieve it in thousands of years that we've had, we would have gotten there by now? We rejoice, we have hope, because God is the one who is able to solve these unresolvable problems of humanity. The the, the ultimate problem that we see in Romans chapter one of idolatry. And so idolatry itself is replaced by this harmonious worship to the one true God for all of those who are in Christ. Just rejoice in this reality that through the sacrifice of Christ, God has reversed the tragic picture that we see in Romans one to three. He's reversed that. Welcoming is important. Worship, worship is ultimate. Very practical and pointed application of this for us today. This is for anyone who has an unresolved conflict with someone, particularly someone who is in the family of believers, someone else who is a Christ follower. 
Whether that is here in our church family at Grace Point or, or it's with someone out, outside. Jesus has, has called us to, to harmony. Next week, um, as is our practice on the first Sunday of the month, we will be taking communion. And every time we take communion, we, we pause before we do that and we say, let's have a moment of reflection. Let's just have a moment between you and the Lord. Is there anything that you need to confess? Is there anything that you need to get right? And in that reflection, hopefully what might come to your mind is an unresolved conflict. If there's anything hanging out there, is there an unresolved conflict that I need to get right before I engage and move forward in communion? Because Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you are worshiping and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if we waited until next Sunday for communion, then that's kind of awkward or or it's kind of, you know, then you've got to maybe say, I'm not going to take communion today if that comes to your mind. This is preemptive. I'm giving you a week here, all right, to think about is is there anything that needs to get resolved? And so maybe you need to make a phone call this week or you need to schedule coffee or have a conversation with someone, and you may not be able to resolve the the conflict. So it's not the criteria. If you come back next week and you haven't been, maybe that person wasn't receptive to, to your conversation. You can't control that. But Paul said earlier in Romans, he said, as much as it's in your power, live at peace with all people. So it's up to us to, to take that step. It's on each of us to go take that step and do what we can. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to promote a welcoming spirit between the two of you. Maybe he wants to promote harmony between you. Maybe he wants to bring it about that you would worship side by side with this person, maybe even next Sunday. When, when that kind of thing happens, it makes God look good. It's, it's glorifying to God, and it reinforces our hope. It makes our hope abound in looking forward to the perfect day when, when that's going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your call to peace and harmony, even in the midst of a world that seems to make that impossible. Lord, we, we know that we as individuals can't uh, solve the, the war problems that are on the other side of the world. We can pray for those. We, Lord, we do. We ask you, Father, to intervene and to spare lives and to draw people to faith in Christ, even in the midst of these crises, but to, to bring about the end of this suffering that seems in many ways so, so senseless. Lord, we pray for that, but Lord, um, Help us to be vigilant in our own personal spheres of influence, in our own personal relationships where there is an unrest, maybe there's a cloud over us because something needs to get resolved. Give us the courage. I pray for the person here who is hearing from you as we speak about this and knowing that they need to have a conversation this week. Would you give them the courage to do that? Give them the words to do that. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you bring about in many of those cases, a reconciliation that makes you look good, that brings you glory, because Jesus, you came 
to, to reconcile all things to yourself. And so help us to pursue that in your name and for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.